welcome to episode three of Health, Health Chat. Chat. I'm one of your hosts, Andy Friedman. I'm at LICSW and the founder of Mind Over Food, a wellness coaching company. And with me, as always, the wonderful and lovely Dr. Alyssa Handler, board certified in internal medicine. So, Alyssa. Yay, our third episode. Yay, what do you think? so excited. <laughs> so excited. And today, it's a little bit about what I know about. We're going to talk about your weight and your health. And why don't you start us off by telling us a little bit about the health consequences of being overweight. Okay, so as usual, we usually start our conversation by clarifying and identifying and defining what it is we're actually talking about Good. because I want to be on the same page as everybody listening yes. um, so that we know what we're talking about. And what we're, what we're talking about is usually something measured, which is your weight on a scale and your height that gives you a ratio called a body mass index. And what that is to define what a body mass, body mass index is or a BMI is your weight in kilograms divided by your height in meters squared, which for most people is not something you can easily calculate. It's something that you could put into a calculator or ask your doctor what that actually is. When you're overweight, your BMI is 25 to 29.9. So normal weight is considered below 25, or a BMI below 25 or above 20. Underweight, I believe, is under 20 or 19 or below. When you're over, when you're obese, your BMI is greater than 30. And when you're severely obese, that's considered BMI greater than 35 with other diseases present or over 40 without any disease present. And the reason why these, these are measured is because when you're overweight, and you're obese, or either one, it increases your rate of death from all causes. And I'm, I'm using, again, the website of UpToDate, which is our structured mm -hmm. data collection uh, that is using evidence-based guidelines to study uh, everything that we're uh, treating in medicine. And so I'm quoting directly from that site. Cool. And the BMI of 30 to 35 decreases your average survival by two to four years, two or four years, two to four. A BMI of 40 to 45 actually decreases your life expectancy by eight to 10 years, which is the same effects as smoking, which is interesting in itself. Mm, yeah. And it does increase the when you're overweight or obese, all causes of mortality, um, including cardiovascular, uh, coronary heart disease, strokes, uh, it, it, it increases those. It also increases your risk of diabetes, heart disease, cancer. And the most interesting thing I read about was that 40% of all cancers will be due to being overweight or obese. So that's a scary number that we don't always think about. When people come to me, I do tell them that not only is their weight increasing their risk for heart disease and diabetes, but also cancer. So those are the three big things that we're trying to prevent. Okay, well, um, thanks for that data. Now, um, we want to, so when you have conversations with your patients about this, how do you go about talking about it? 
so first we have to convince someone to get on the scale, which we <laughs> mm, talked I don't about. Know if I'm, I don't know if I'm you know, up for that, but yeah. <laughs> that not yeah. everybody wants to get on no, the scale. of course. There's a lot of stigma around that. Right. Um, so there, that's sometimes hard to have someone buy into the fact that their weight is important. Mm-hmm. Or they do know that it's important, but they are have a fear of that number. And yeah. And in and sometimes I have to really turn the conversation around to talk about that the weight is just a number and it doesn't take Good. everything into consideration like their lifestyle, mm-hmm. their diet, their their fitness level. Uh, so it's kind of a starting risk point. factors, right. It's a starting point for the conversation about those risk factors. Yeah, and I... And it's often the opposite, though. Most people come to me concerned about their weight, and I have to turn the conversation around and say, oh, well, you're yeah. actually really healthy, and I go through all of their lifestyle is so healthy, and they're really focused on a weight number that is actually healthy for them. And and so we have a lot of conversation about body types and what it is exactly that they're concerned about, and then I really redirect people's thinking about how we think about weight in our society and a lot of it can be false advertising or yeah. not not recommended for what people really need to focus on. Well, that's really great. I'm so glad to hear that. I and I hope that others other doctors, other uh, primary care physicians are as wonderful and <laughs> thank you Andy you're so sweet <laughs> as you and and they have a conversation in that way i know um recently uh in the news there there was an article about how and there's some evidence to back this up that people sometimes people avoid going to the doctor because they're afraid that the doctor is going to have a conversation with them about this in a way that feels stigmatizing or degrading in some way. So um, so if you're a physician listening out there, do what Dr. Hamler does. Yes, and, it's yeah. really important not yeah. to have people have to be afraid of that conversation, right. that it really should be only one part of their overall care plan. Right. And to Good. allow us as physicians to yeah. analyze what is a healthy weight, what is a not healthy weight, what are their risk factors for the comorbid p- conditions that we're talking about, um, and really right. try to screen for that. And then when somebody wants more help, that we can direct into someone like you, who's an expert with how to manage people's expectations for their weight. That's right. And, really, and make lifestyle changes. And lifestyle changes really yeah. um, absolutely the most important thing we can focus on because, as we talked about before, smoking right. and, and alcohol use, my favorite right. thing to talk about, right. is right. really, for me, much more important than their weight number. And, right. I, and I spend a lot of my office time talking about the important issues and not necessarily the weight number itself. Well, that's great, and and uh, I'm very very glad to hear it. And the fact of the matter is, is that those um, unrealistic expectations can actually sabotage somebody's um, desire and um, success with making those lifestyle changes. And so, one of the things that's um, very important to me is to get out the information that um, trying to emulate what's considered beautiful or thin in our popular culture is um, not only 
unrealistic but also harmful. Yes. So I'd love to hear your philosophy. I know you have this great philosophy of how to approach food and nutrition and lifestyle. Yeah. I'd love to hear more about how you approach that with someone or a client that comes in to see you. Well, I mean, the th thing I do first is we talk about why diets don't work. Um, diets um, are just a failure in our society and most people who have dieted have actually gained weight. They've lost weight, um, have gained it back and more. And we're not 100% sure why that is. It has to do with metabolism and um, starvation mode that when you restrict too heavily that your body goes into a starvation mode. But we're not really sure that's the whole entire story. So that's so interesting that you say that because we also talk about that metabolic set point that right. somebody has right. is actually predetermined. Yes. And when you're going into starvation mode, you're actually inhibiting your, it. Yeah. It's not a healthy thing to do. Right. And it actually causes this weight fluctuation to occur and actually your body normally wants to get back to that metabolic set point. Right. And it's actually the the switches or that fluctuation of oh. being of going up and down in your weight is actually more harmful yes. than just staying at a slightly overweight uh, right, yes. number and not right. fluctuating. That's right. So, so what we call that yo-yo dieting, it might be called, but yeah, it's very, very stressful yes. and harmful. And it has psychological implications. Yes, that it definitely does. Yeah. Yes. So yeah. it's really actually not healthy to have your weight fluctuate right. so much that right. there is a metabolic set point. Right. And for some people, that's much higher than it should be, and, right. and that requires an expert to intervene. Right. But it has to be done in a healthy way, and right. you have to be having these lifestyle changes around that, and right. your body is going to naturally be what it needs to be to be healthy. And I focus on that a lot. I always say, your body is going to be what it needs to be to be healthy. Right. Instead of having people focus you on You have to number. be a certain weight to be healthy and Correct. that sort so, of thing. So yeah. we're trying to get around that mm -hmm. in the same way that we may not completely agree on a lot yeah. of the terms we're using, we actually may have different philosophies about. However, I think we both agree yes. that lifestyle and how it's you- It's everything, right. Lifestyle's I the most important thing It's the most have. important thing. Yes. So, and so tell when, us more. Yeah, when, and just, to, just one more thing I wanna add about why dieting is, is so um, harmful, po possibly very harmful, both mentally and physically. Um, to our bodies is that when we're restricting, um, it's actually stressful, physiologically stressful on our bodies. And that a really interesting study was done out of the eating lab and the University of Minnesota, where they check the cortisol levels um, of dieters in their saliva. You can get cortisol levels in the saliva, which I find so fascinating. And that um, People were, their cortisol levels, which is considered the stress hormone, um, were extremely high in people who were dieting. So the reason you're so stressed out when you're dieting is because it is stressful. Yes, that and, makes and absolute so sense. That's, yes. Yeah, it makes total sense. Um, so changing those, so making those lifestyle changes is not easy, right? Because we'd all be doing it and no one would be affected by you know, a uh, pizza or, or whatever your food is. I love chocolate chip cookies. So, you know, that wouldn't 
it would be easy to say no to those things. Um, so when we're trying to make those, those lifestyle changes and we're struggling and we don't know what's going on, it's really because we have certain automatic thinking about food and eating that leads to our decision making. And so what I do with my clients is we focus initially on what it is they're saying to themselves, the self-talk that they have, before they make the eating decision. So for example, if you decide you're gonna go to a birthday party and you're not gonna have the cake, but then you eat the cake anyways, I want to, I'm very interested and we need to know what it is that you said to yourself that justified eating the cake. And I'm not saying cake is bad because cake isn't just evil on its own. And I stress that there's no quote unquote taboo foods, um, but that we need to figure out what things are going through your mind that told you it was okay to eat that cake. Okay, so what's interesting is you're assuming yes. that people have a conversation they do. in their head before they make a food choice. They do. Okay, so what I'm going to uh -huh. put back out there is yeah. I would bet you that there are people that don't even think about anything before they're making food choices. So that, I've had clients, yeah. That, that you have to get someone to buy into the fact that making choices about food is important before they would even decide yeah, no that. Yeah, so people are not aware. Correct. Yes, and so that's what we call awareness. it automatic thinking. Yes, so yes. we're bringing so awareness. mindful eating, yes. so we talk about that, that mindful yeah. eating idea of being mindful about what you're putting in your mouth. Right, so that's kind of the next step, the mindful eating, but going back to the first step is that we have automatic thoughts. We're not aware of them and we're bringing uh, awareness uh. to the thought. And I have had, I would say maybe a third of my clients, like you say, not buy in to that idea. It's like, no, I just shoved it in. Correct. And every time I've done the work with them, we get down to what it is that they were telling themselves. They weren't aware that they were telling themselves that. And sometimes it's not a sentence or a conversation or something. Sometimes it could be an image that leads them to do it. But I will give you an example where someone, like this example with the cake, and one might be, oh, I don't care. That's a big one that comes up. I Screw it, I don't care. And the fact of the matter is, after they're done eating the cake, then they have the remorse where they realize they do care. And so bringing that into their awareness and being able to say to themselves before they eat the cake, I do care, right? And then taking steps, which is the behavioral part, um, to either remove themselves from the cake or be able to say no to the cake or do other distracting techniques in that moment um, leads, leads them to not then go ahead and eat the food because it's often not worth it to them. The discomfort and the pain and the beating themselves up that they feel after they eat the cake is not really worth the flavor of the cake. And if they really, really truly tell themselves, how good is this cake? Is this cake worth it? Sometimes it is, I won't lie, sometimes it's the best cake and you should eat it. If it's the best, best cake and you're gonna love every single bite of it, then it's worth it. But most of the time we just eat things, like you say, mindlessly, and it's not worth it. 
So the first step is bringing awareness to our thinking and how we and how we justify making these food choices. And then after that, we come up with what we could say to ourselves to talk ourselves out of it. And we have to find that one thing that really will, you know, wake us up and and tell us it's not worth it and remind us it's not worth it and remind us of why we're doing it in the first place. Because we want to be healthy. We want to have more energy. We want to not take, you know, diabetes medication. We want to not have heart disease. So we have to remember those things when we're making eating decisions. So that's the first thing. In addition to that, I help people give themselves credit when they do make a good choice. Because we think when we make healthy eating choices that that's just normal and that's the way it should be. But really, that's incredible that we do that because we live in a food toxic environment. We have food available to us at all times and the most palatable calorie dense foods available to us all the time and right. we just did not evolve to live right. in that situation right. we evolved to hunt down our food hunt down our food yep grow it and and eat it when it's there eat it when it's fresh because tomorrow it's not going to be there right? right and and you're absolutely right we live in a toxic food world yeah it's really hard to make these choices on your own yeah and, and so yeah. when you do Give you, throw yourself a party. Be really proud of yourself. I mean, people don't realize how great that is, and they make healthy choices all the time. Even people who are, you know, have high BMIs, or obese BMIs, and stuff like that, are making healthy choices all the time, and they should give themselves credit for that. There's nothing more sabotaging to your health goals than beating yourself up all the time for making poor food choices. That Those poor food choices were kind of programmed to do that. So we have to reprogram your thinking so that you change that. Yes. So that's the first and that's the most important step. Mm -hmm. So I have what I call the four pillars of lifelong wellness and that's the most important thing. That's the foundation of those of those pillars. So then going to mindful eating. So when I think of mindful eating, I think of just being bringing awareness to the duration of your meal, to, to what you're eating, you know, putting it in your mouth, um, not distracting yourself from eating. What is hysterical to me, and I am susceptible to this too, what's totally hysterical is that we, the reason we eat is because it's a pleasurable experience, and yet we in this country do everything possible to distract ourselves from that pleasurable experience by watching TV or eating in front of a screen, any screen, or eating and working at the same time. Maybe you're eating in the car. All these things take away from the pleasure of eating and the enjoyment of eating, and it also distracts you from that brain stomach connection, when your stomach says, okay, I'm satisfied, your brain doesn't get the message. So I recommend that people eat in an undistracted environment. The only distraction that's quote unquote allowed is with family and friends, people, with other people. Um, of course, eating is a social act as well, and we don't want to 
not break bread with our brethren, <laughs> right? So, mm -hmm. so that's okay, but other ways, no. And if you at home, like just try this for a week where you eat undistracted, you will be shocked at how much better your food tastes and how much less of it you need to feel satisfied. It's really incredible. Then the third pillar is meal planning or planning ahead. And this is a hard one for people and I totally get it because when I learned about this, I was like, no way am I gonna start meal planning. And meal planning has been a revelation because you think of it as more work, but in the long run, it is less work, less physical work and less emotional work. You know that standing at the refrigerator going, what am I gonna make tonight? And oh, I'm gonna have to chop up these vegetables or, or I don't have enough, oh, I was gonna make tacos, but I don't have the taco. You know, it's this whole back and forth. And then at that point, you're so frustrated, it's just pasta and sauce <laughs> at that point, right? And if you do a little bit of planning ahead and you do a little bit of, of um, forethought, um, like going to the grocery store after you plan, you go to the grocery store, you get the ingredients you need. When it comes time to make dinner or lunch, it's all just there. It's so much easier. Um, and then I recommend tracking, at least when you're trying to make the, the switch over from sort of this eating free for all to really making nutritious choices and nourishing your body, um, that you should kind of keep a journal, a log. You can do that with an app you know, like a MyFitnessPal or, or Lose It app. Mm -hmm. um, all I will say about that is ignore the calorie counts on that. And if you want to know more about that, you'll have to e email me or reach out to me on the Facebook page. Um, or you can write it down because we're just super bad at really recalling how much we're eating. And it's kind of a nice awareness to know how much we're actually eating every day. So that's kind of the framework for making that switch. Once you do this for a while and you practice and you get these new automatic thoughts into your head, um, it making the nutritious choices becomes um, just easier and more natural and becomes your new way of thinking. I will say something about nutrition. I'm not a nutritionist and one day we, maybe we'll get a nutritionist in here. but. There's all this nutrition information, just we're being bombarded with it all the time. And it's constantly changing and evolving. The, there's really only one thing we know for sure is that we need to get more fruits and vegetables into our diet, eat lean protein as often as possible, and eat whole grains if we're gonna eat grains. Now this isn't 100% of the time, but it should be more often than not. And I use this thing called the Healthy Plate, and it's a modification of the healthyplate.gov website, the CDC's recommendation. And um, if you just look at that plate and you try to fill your plate in that way, be it when you're meal planning, be it when you're going out to eat, be it when you're on vacation, it's just a really nice rule of thumb that's not calorie counting. It's not 
restricting, you know, if you love pasta, but you've been told that pasta is bad, 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 that's, and you try to give up pasta, that's a folly. You have to incorporate the foods that you love into your diet. And now, do you also suggest small plate size? Because uh, yes. our training is also to suggest a smaller plate. Yes. Because meal portions have yes. escalated yes. in our society, as you know. I'm so glad you brought that, that up. And that contributes to a lot of the obesity, I believe, is that our, if you look at the supersizing of America, and yes. there's a whole book about it, right? Yeah. That our meal portion has you know, like, exceeded, superseded what we actually need. So, readjusting our plate size, yep. I think, helps people focus on what they actually need. Or we, you've talked about when you go out to eat yes. to ask for the to-go right away yes. because because I tell people they really should probably take home half their meal. Now, I do because I like to enjoy my leftovers the well, next see, day. Well, see, that's the nice thing. I always say it's a bonus. You're really getting two meals. Think of yes, it. You're getting two I, meals for the price of one. Exactly. So how awesome all give is that? Because they want you to come back. And I tell people yeah. that if they gave you what an actual serving size right. was, you would not go back to that restaurant right. because you would feel you got right. chipped. Just like what I say about alcohol is oh, that's when they right. pour you that glass. That it's more it's, than one drink. It's usually right. more because yeah. that restaurant wants you to come back. That's Right. And so we have yeah. to adjust what we know is a correct serving size. Yeah. And I don't know if you so show I have rule. Yes, is. I do. Yes. So I have rules of thumb about that as well. And so we're looking at a nine inch plate for your bigger meals, your lunch and your dinner and a seven inch plate for uh, snacks and uh, breakfast. Now, if you're a big breakfast eater but don't like to eat a big dinner, so switch it up you know, that's fine. I always like to um, work with clients individually, even when I do big group workshops, um, to, to um, make it work for them. So I don't, you know, some people say you shouldn't eat uh, before you go to bed. Some people say it doesn't matter. But I say if you're likely to have a have unplanned snack or eat sweets, before bedtime, then plan a snack after dinner. Go ahead and do it because if that prevents you from going into the freezer and getting that ice cream, then I'll be it, you know, so be it. Um, the only thing I do recommend is not to have sugary, sugary stuff right before you go to bed. And I don't know, the only reason I say that, and I totally am honest with it, my clients about it, is that I notice I have a sugar hangover in the morning like I don't sleep well when I eat something very sugary. That might not be the case for them, but I say just as a rule of thumb, I don't know if there's some physiological reason for that or not. But, but um, so yes, so the healthy plate. And if you go to my website, uh, mindoverfood.com, and look at my healthy plate blog, it explains it all in detail and it Perfect. has a picture. And I send out these you know diagrams of of how to do that. Um, so let me, since you mentioned the restaurants already, I want to just let everybody know some tips and tricks that I, I use. Um, so the to-go, the to-go container, ask for the to-go container when the food comes so you can put half of it in there before you start eating because a lot of people are in the clean your plate club, right? 
And if you take that away from your plate, then you can clean your plate and not worry about it. And that also signals to your brain that the meal is over when the plate is clean. So the other thing that seems to work really well for clients is I recommend that they look at the menu ahead of time. There is something about going into a restaurant, listening to what other people are ordering, the smells, the sights, the sounds that get us to make choices that may be not in line with our goals. If you do it ahead of time before you hit the restaurant, um, you're more likely to stick with that plan and order something that you think is more helpful, like a salad or fish or something like that. Um, also, when you're traveling, you can do the same thing. The one caveat I say about traveling is that you don't want to miss out on the local cuisines. So try to make some trade-offs. And once again, use the healthy plate. But try to make some trade-offs, you know, um, so that you can enjoy. If you go to Paris, you should have a croissant. I mean, <laughs> come on, right? You're not going to say no to that. So, um, but well, try to- ice cream's the best too. You have to- Oh, they it. have really good ice cream too. <laughs> ice cream in Paris I is mean, the best. I mean, and patisserie yes, and the cheese. And I mean, right. I can go on and on and on and on, right? So, right. so traveling is, I want you to indulge a little bit more because you want to experience the culture through food, of course. Um, the other, the other things I want to talk, I talk about with my clients is how to deal with cravings, right? So we say we have a, cra oh, I have a chocolate craving. I have to have some chocolate. Here's the thing about cravings, folks. They don't get better when you give in to them. It just makes you want more. Have you ever had a craving satisfied by giving into it? I know I never have. I never have. And, um... The other thing is that if you can just wait it out just a little bit, it will pass. 100% of the time, I guarantee you it will pass. And get your tush out of the kitchen. The, so another thing, the clean your plate club. People do not like to throw food away. Why? Why don't people like to? Dr. Handler, why don't people like to throw food away? It's, they feel badly. Because? You know? Because people in the world are starving. Oh, my God. Right? Right. And it's wasted, right? Yes. And pe you, 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 first of all, the food on your plate is already wasted. If it doesn't go into nourishing your body, it's wasted. And I always, I don't know if I should say, I might have to beep this out later. But it's wasted in the trash or it's wasted on your ass. It's still wasted. Eating it does not make it not wasted. So throw it away or give it away, but be careful of being a food pusher yourself. Don't give other people food that you wouldn't eat because it doesn't nourish your body. If you wanna give food as a gift and you feel like it would be very appreciated, that's one thing, but don't give something that you wouldn't eat away to somebody else because they might be struggling with their weight or their food choices. The other really important point here, and it's, all the things that I'm talking about work just as well with exercise. If you're having trouble putting more activity into your life, then you can use these same skills that I'm talking about. So instead of asking yourself, why did I eat this? You ask yourself, why did I not get up and go to the gym? Or take that walk I meant to take? Or take the stairs. I met, I told myself I would take the stairs all the time now and I'm still taking the elevator. We need to find out what you're telling yourself, how you're talking yourself 
out of being active. So everything I talked about in terms of making dietary changes works for activity as well. It also can work, but I suggest that you work one-on-one -on -one with therapists for alcohol and smoking and any other sort of recreational substance use. Right. So, and I'm sure we're going to get into that with and future we will, talks and we will definitely motivational. So, yeah. this reminds me of techniques I learned in medical school the and also other interviewing other courses I've mm -hmm. taken on motivational interviewing. Yes, right. It does. I think it you're is. getting into the idea yeah. of of buying into or readiness for change. That's right. And you're really evaluating when you're meeting with someone what, yes. their, uh, what their readiness for change is. Correct. And I do that for every single visit is, mm -hmm. what is that person ready to do? Yeah. And I do say, I even say that, what are you ready to change? If there is no readiness for change, it's a moot conversation. And I do go through things when I'm assessing their risk about what things could be better if right. they made certain changes. But I'm not going to tell them what to change. They have to be ready to make that change. They have to take ownership of and, it. Right. And then I do say, what are you ready to do next? Are you able to walk a little bit more? Right. Are you able to engage in a lifestyle change program or not? This are you is ready why, to quit smoking? Yeah, this Those is things. why a coach, a wellness coach or a coaching program that um, is so important because right. you're you're sort of maybe you see the client once the patient once a year and um, even if they're really good about following up with you you just don't get to spend as yes. much time with them and I don't see that as my role that, no, that's exactly. actually not my training yeah and and I do try to uh, direct people that's awesome to places that yeah. they can help themselves or assist themselves right. to make right. these changes. And right. that that's really important that a lot of these things you're talking about takes a lot of work. This takes a lot of work to make behavioral changes. Yes. And they if they want to succeed, they may have to actually reach out. Reach out yeah. or hire someone yeah. to help them make those changes. And I, I feel like the the reason that people often don't is because they feel that they've failed, quote unquote failed so many times, um, like you say, with the yo-yo dieting. I mean, very few, there's almost no people who've succeeded, quote unquote, succeeded. And you could, we could debate all day what that means to succeed on a diet, but almost no one has. And um, I work really hard with, like I said, changing that, that, um, those feelings of beating ourselves up into giving ourselves credit. But not only that, we I changed the vocabulary. Right. So we don't use that word failure anymore because it's not true. <laughs> it's not a failure. Even the word diet. Even, even the word diet. That word there's the is, diet which means yeah. Yes. There's diet that means what you're eating and there's right. diet that means a res restricting, restricting what you're eating. Right. So So even our terminology is yes. is re the vocabulary and it, words matter people. <laughs> yes. Right. And it's just yeah. and it what's I I'm constantly doing is redirecting people to yes. what their focus really should be. Right. And then in terms right. of how to get right. to that place, right. that someone has to figure out for themselves what works best for them. Right, and, and, and I think that, that the program has to be very individually tailored. And you can even do that in a group 
a group setting. So some people feel better in a group setting. Some people prefer individual right. coaching. A lot of it comes down to cost, right? Well, because, yeah, a cost yeah. is um, right. And I and I offer things through uh, various rec departments and and adult education departments. So it's very mm-hmm. you know reasonable. But that is a big huge factor and. So what I do tell people is they don't necessarily have to pay for extra things when we have all this technology around right, us, that's like right. smartphones and yeah. Fitbits yeah. and apps. Yeah. A lot of these are free. Yeah. You just have to know how to engage in them, and right. you can give yourself free access to technology yes. that will tell you what you should do. But again, that can only go so far with some people. I think a lot of people who it, are self-motivated, that works that's right. quite well. And that's I do right. recommend that a yes, lot. Agreed. But then some people will need an expert to oversee what they need to do to or change just their the, lifestyle. the support. Exactly. Yeah. And, and especially so if they're important. not, not a lot of people don't get support at home. So they need to reach out for support. Great. Um, the, the last thing I want to say, and you brought this up, so beautifully in the beginning about your conversations with your patients is that really having more acceptance of our bodies and where they're at and that not to compare ourselves with whatever the current cultural healthy ideal is and we just see the images all the time and it's it's really um affects people's mental health in a way that um, it's very negatively. So um, being overweight can, you know, quote unquote overweight by these these categories um, can really lead to symptoms of depression, of anxiety, and, and to learn that you can be beautiful at any size. Learn how to, I even go so far as to help people dress their bodies where they're at. Um, help them not wait until they're quote unquote thinner to do all the things that they wanna do. And to really have realistic expectations. You talked about that metabolic set point and we could talk about it in terms of a weight set point and that Really, the if you have a weight goal, it should be to be able to maintain the lower end of that range, of that weight range, um, and not some number that you pulled out. And I know plenty of people who are the exact size, same size as me, who weigh totally different. Some weigh more, some weigh less. So just size in itself, weight in itself doesn't even tell you anything correct and i do talk about that a lot that the weight is just a number yeah it doesn't tell how it's distributed on your body that's right and or how much muscle mass you have we certainly weigh more than fat exactly and and it doesn't take into account any internal process that could be measured like your blood pressure or your blood sugar level because someone who has an abnormal blood sugar level and a high blood pressure their weight standard for me would be different than someone that didn't have those already right. at even if they're normal right. weight. Right. So it just depends. And once again, I, I've worked with many clients who made significant lifestyle changes, started eating um, to nourish their body, started exercising a lot more, and yet the number on the scale did not 
change. Yes, and, and that, that happens a lot. However, we see but the health benefits. Yes, we see yeah. their health, their health things that we're measuring improve, right. improve. And, yes, and and in fact, the guidelines that we're told that when someone is, if they have any weight to lose, if they have any metabolic challenges, that just losing 8 to 10% of yes. their weight will make a huge, huge difference in their numbers. And I see it all the time yes. in their cholesterol yes. scores, in yes. their blood pressure. They might have lost maybe even just 5 to 8 pounds, yes. and it made a big difference in their numbers internally. And yet, we want to make sure that they're not disappointed because they're not in a size four. Correct. <laughs> okay. So we have to really shift our expectations. Exactly. And, and that's our, my goal. It's and my our goal. mind has to be in the game. That's right. Yes. Yeah. So good job. Yes. <laughs> so I really appreciate having you on board with all that. Oh, that yeah. We're trying to I teach mean, patients I about. think it's yeah. great to have the doctor coach or doctor therapist um, interaction because um, if we're not on the same page, then the patient's just gonna be confused and. Right, absolutely. And so, so, so. It's so great to have that information, thank Andy. You. Thank well, you. Well, so thank much. you. I hope that everyone enjoyed it. And thank you again for giving us the medical background. Thank here. you, Andy. Yeah. This was fun. This was really fun. So, this is episode number three now just remind me we're also going to have a website where people can post well questions. we have a facebook page right okay, now great so if you look up health chat you will see uh our facebook page so great. please like and share our facebook page and uh, we will have an email address eventually um i'll have to set up an email account so you can and also on the facebook page right now you can send in questions that you might have about your health you can send in ideas for shows we're open or if you just want to talk and you know send us a message message us and we'll get right back to you great okay I love so it. so this was episode three please join us for episode four we really want to thank you for listening i am andy friedman and with me as always the wonderful Dr. Alyssa Handler. <laughs> Thank you so much. Thank you. Bye. Bye.